Good morning. Been a while. Thank everybody for coming out this morning. If you would, turn your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17. We've been looking in the catechism at the Ten Commandments of God. This morning we'll be going over commandment number 10. Which is the tenth commandment? The tenth commandment is thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day, for this Lord's day to gather in your presence, Lord, saints of God gathered around the throne of God, praising and worshiping the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We pray above all things, Father, that you would descend upon us this morning, Lord, and give us understanding by your Spirit. Open the word unto us, dear God. Forgive us of our sins. Speak to us this morning, Father. We give you all the praise and glory in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. A simple definition of covet in Merriam-Webster's dictionary says to wish for earnestly to desire what belongs to another inordinately or culpably to feel an unreasonable desire for what belongs to another. Another definition of it would be to not be satisfied in the place where God has you right now or the circumstances where you may be in. I know for me that has been a hard part in my life to receive the discipline of God, to be chastised, to be sanctified through suffering, through pain, through the sins of others in our lives and questioning God sometimes saying, Lord, why do you have me in such a position like this? This is not fair. Anybody guilty of that? Myself as well. I'm going to look at two points this morning. What is required in the Ten Commandments? And also, what is forbidden? What is required in the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments requires full contentment with our own condition, with a right and charitable frame of spirit towards our neighbor, and all that is his. Not only to be happy with what we have, but to look to the good of our neighbor, not to begrudge them because God may be blessing them or they may have done us wrong and they are prospering and we're not because of the actions that they've done. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We'll go over a few verses here with this. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, it shows that this is a lack of trust in the providence of God. It says here, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Notice that the conversation right here 
is to be without covetousness. And to be without covetousness automatically means to be content. It shows our lack of contentment with what God has for us. I was talking to Brother Benny earlier. The scripture says that Jesus Christ learned through suffering. The scripture also says that we are predestined to be conformed to his image. How? Same way. Through suffering. Philippians 4. Let's look at a few more passages. Paul tells the Philippian church about this contentment here as well in chapter 4. Look at verses 10 through 13. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care of me has flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And one of the greatest scriptures in our Bible that has been misquoted out of context is the very next verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. What was Paul talking about? Contentment through having much, through having little, being abased and being abound. By the power of the Spirit of Christ that he has sent to us, we will persevere through these things. That's the contentment. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look there if you would. Now, suffering is not fun. It's a daily battle that we have to fight the flesh with, but we have to trust that God has our best interests at heart. First Timothy chapter 6, let's read a good block of this right here, starting in verse 3 to 10. He says, If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ into the doctrine which is according to godliness. He is proud, knowing nothing but, but doting about questions and strives of words whereof come envy, strife, railings, and evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment, notice there, is of great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we will carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. And this is the trap right here, brothers and sisters. Look at verse 9 here. It says, But they that will be rich will fall into many temptations and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some, notice here, coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. 
many sorrows. That could be a Christian he's talking about right there. Not just someone out in the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Look at a couple verses here. Desiring what does not belong to you. Paul speaks here that the whole point of the second table of the law is loving your neighbor as yourself. In 1 Corinthians 13, let's look at verses 4 through 7. And we all know this very well. It's quoted just about at every marriage that we've ever been to, a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, and it is not puffed up. It doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in it, and believeth all things, and hopeth all things, and endureth all things. If you're really loving your neighbor, I promise you this, you are content in the place wherewith God has you even when it's hard. God has put me through a trial in the last few months with my children. And it's been a hard, sore trial. And I have not acted in such a way to where I have rejoiced and I have praised God for the situation for him because he promised me in his word that it's for my good. But through it, he has taught me to lean and to come to him. And it brought me to a level of greater repentance. And for that, I'm thankful. It was a hard road. But my God did not fail me. He did not leave me to myself. A brother in Christ, a man that was with Dallas Theological Seminary. I've read a lot of his works. He passed away here in 2016. His name was Charles Caldwell Ryrie. He said this, he said, one be covetous when he has little, much, or anything in between. You could be covetous no matter what end of the spectrum that you're on. For covetousness comes from the heart, not from the circumstances of life. It's a hard issue. Why did God put me in this situation? Why did God allow these things to happen? Why did he allow all these trials to come on me? Because you got something in your heart he wants to get out. That's where I've been, fellas. Leviticus 19, 18, you don't have to turn there. It says, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people. But thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Whenever you hear a verse in the Old Testament or in the New Testament for that fact, when he ends the statement with I am the Lord, it means business. I am your God. Do this. Turn to Philippians chapter 2.
We'll see further here this looking to the good of others. Chapter 2, let's look at verses 3 and 4. Paul states here, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each other esteem better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And notice the next verse, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he goes on to say, who being in the form of God, humbled himself think of what it was done to the lord jesus christ the cruel mockings the scourging the pulling out of his beard did he not have power he said to call down legions of angels and destroy this world in a moment but for us he endured the shame Hebrews 12 tells us that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. We should act as our Lord in these situations because he is purging us of our sin when we find ourselves in these situations. Our second point this morning, what is forbidden in the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments forbids all discontentment with our own estate envying or grieving at the good of our neighbor and all inordinate, I'm sorry, inordinate motions and affections to anything that is his. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll see something here about grumbling. Remember in the Old Testament in the wilderness, what happened to those who grumbled would we'll be there in a minute. First Corinthians chapter 10. Let's look at verses 5 through 11. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, also as they lusted. Could you not change the word there to coveted? Very easily. Neither be ye idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of this destroyer. Remember what they said? We loathe this light bread. Starving to death and God provided manna for them in the wilderness. Doves in the evening. And their response was, this is horrible. I'd rather the leeks and onions 
from Egypt. Numbers chapter 21. Let's, let's look at an example here. Numbers chapter 21. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. Speaking of them in the wilderness, and it said they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea and encompassed the land of Edom, and the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Obviously, it was a hard trek, a very hard journey. And the people spake against God and against Moses and said, Wherefore have ye brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Now we just read earlier that these accounts were written for our admonition. <laughs> Notice in verse 5, it says, The people spake against God. I'm guilty of speaking against him at times. And I found myself in a hard, a hard place, a hard journey, a hard thing that his providence has, providence has called me to. And I've repented of such things. James chapter 5, look there. This study through God's law. Just being honest with y'all, brothers and sisters. It has crushed me. It has shown me a greater wickedness that is in my heart. And that how desperately I need Jesus. How desperately I need his sacrifice for me. Chapter 5 in James. Look at verse 9 through 11. He says here, Grudge not one against another, brother, unless ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job. You have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Why did God die? I mean, I've, I've, I've known the story of Job since I was a young child and before the Lord saved me. Why, I, Lord, why would you pick on Job like that? He wasn't picking on Job. God proved himself to Job. He proved the faith that he put in Job to endure. God loved Job. Turn to the prophet Habakkuk.
book in the Old Testament in the Minor Prophets. And Habakkuk gives a good example here of how Job reacted in the midst of all his suffering and all his loss. In chapter 3, the prophet states here in verse 17, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall the fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and in the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stall. There's nothing. Poverty, famine. Our enemies have come and have taken everything from us. And this is what he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hind's feet, and he will make me to walk upon mine high places to the chief singer of my stringed instruments. A song that they'd sing. Brother Randy brought us through the Psalms of Ascent. I believe that they sang this too, maybe not necessarily in that application, but they sang of these things, that even in the midst of all that God did to punish them and to chasten those who he loves, our God will not leave us nor forsake us. Galatians chapter 5, you don't have to turn there, just one verse. Verse 26, it says, Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, and envying one another. If you find yourself in a circumstance, no matter how hard it is, even if someone has sinned against you and they are wrong, they are dead wrong. It was ordained by God. He has you in the midst of that to teach you. Colossians 3, if you turn there, a few more verses before we close this morning. Colossians chapter 3. Verses 5 and 6. <clears throat> Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness. Which is idolatry. Covetousness is in the same category is fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil concupiscence. Just like in Numbers, they spoke against the Lord. When you puff your chest out and you say, God, you're wrong for putting me through this. That's a tough place. Thank God he's merciful and patient with us in long suffering. 
Verse 6, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked sometime when you lived in them. I won't read all of verse 8, but he says, Now put ye off all these. Ephesians 5, if you turn back to the book of Ephesians. A song we sing, it says, Those who think of sin but lightly. Going through the Ten Commandments here in the last couple months has helped me to see how great and how wicked our sin is and what Christ had to do. I've heard this said before. I'm sorry, guilt, grace, and gratitude. The law comes, it condemns us. It makes us guilty. The gospel comes and it gives us grace. And thirdly, the law that we now keep as Christians is a God for our life, not for righteousness, but because of gratitude for what he's done. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 3. Very similar to what he said in Colossians, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God. It says in another passage of scripture that a brother who is an extortioner or covetousness, not even to have, not even to have a meal with such a brother, but put him away. Not necessarily that he's going to hell, but don't purge that out from the church. Let let it not be named once among saints. Verse 6, let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them. Purge this leaven out of the camp. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. How do we do this? In the flesh, you cannot do this. You must cry out to God, Lord, give me strength by your spirit. If this is in my life, Lord, take it from me. Give me power to overcome it. I know I have cried out a long time in some circumstances in my life for God to give me grace to put the mortify this certain thing in my life. Sometimes it takes time. But you can't do it by your flesh. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look at verse 9. I wrote unto you an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world, or with the covetousness, or the extortioners, or with idolaters. For then must ye needs go out of the world. He said, I'm not telling you not to 
partake with people out in the world that does this. He said, in order for you not to deal with people out in the world, you would have to leave the world. We're stuck every day in our jobs where we have to rub elbows with this wicked world. Verse 11, he says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. With such a one, know not to eat. It's a good place right there to preach a sermon on church discipline. But now I've written you, I'm sorry, verse 12, for what I have to do to judge them also that are without, do you not judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judges. Therefore, put away among, from among yourselves that wicked person. And one more verse if you turn to Revelation chapter 20. We see how serious not only the Old Testament and the law dealt with this covetousness, but how serious it spoke about in the epistles as far as a brother or sister to put them away. It's not, not that they had fell or something like that and then they came back with a repentive heart, but if they continue in it, unrepentive. Revelation chapter 20, if you look at verse 11, it speaks of the judgment of that great day. And he said, I saw a great white throne on him which that sat on it, from whom's face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. As a child, that passage of scripture horrified me. There was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book according to their works. Every infraction, every moment, every thought of God, why? Would you give them that? Look how wicked and horrible and how they don't take care of it. But you allow me to go through all this hardship. Things like that are written in that book. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the book according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Even though our works will be tried by fire, this is the hope that we have, Thus, those of us who are in Christ. Even though those works will be judged, it says, and whosoever was not found written in the book was cast into the lake of fire. But if your name is in that book, even though you may have failed, and came back to Christ with a repentant heart. Your name's still in that book. That's the hope I have. I, I grew up in the independent fundamental Baptist church world. As a child, I went to their schools. 
Everything was a works base. You're saved by grace. The preacher would tell you this. When you came up and you made a profession of Christ, he would put his arm around you and pretty much you'd be added into membership that day. And I remember this. He would put his arm around you and he'd say, Brother, are you ready to get busy for Jesus? And I remember the failings that I would have week after week after week back at the altar repenting. Oh God, forgive me. I'm rededicating my life. Any of y'all ever experienced that? This constant fear of not measuring up. I could not measure up. You cannot measure up. There's only one that can measure that came. The scripture says that we are not only saved by his death, but we are saved by his life. What does that mean? We're saved by his life. What you couldn't accomplish according to the law, he accomplished in your stead. That's what the writer of Hebrews means in chapter 11. It says, by faith. I want to tell you all a little small this is a little small side note. We just went through the book of James and I was studying this. And James says this in James chapter 2. Was not Abraham justified by works? When he had offered up Isaac on the altar? Turn to book of Hebrews. I'm going to show you all something. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. Now, was Abraham saved by works? Yep, he sure was. James was telling the absolute truth. Look at verse 8. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he had should receive as an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether it would be. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith, Sarah also herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age. She judged him faithful who had promised. Remember that phrase right there. She judged him faithful who had promised. Who? The one who promised it to her God. Therefore sprang there even one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky, and the multitude, and in the sand of the sea, and the shore. And the I'm sorry, I don't know. I lost my place. Oh, 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and was persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed them as they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. 
Verse 17, this is where I wanted to get. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Of whom it was said that in Isaac thy seed shall be called. called. And notice in verse 19, this was Abraham's work of faith. Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence he had also received him as a figure. What was Abraham thinking in that moment when that knife was drawn and he was about to go up? Even if I kill this boy, he who promised me is faithful. He'll raise him from the dead if I have to do this. That was his work. Belief in his God who promised him. The same thing goes with us with this law. We fail it every day. What is the hope that we have? That he bore our iniquities in our place. Just as Sarah said right here, because she judged him faithful, who hath promised. How do we walk in the Spirit right here? Judging him faithful, who had promised. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the closing of this study of your commandments, dear Lord. We thank you for it, Lord. We, we, I thank you personally for the chastisement that you've brought to me through it, dear Lord, and given me a greater understanding of my need for Christ. We thank you for your great love, Lord. We thank you that you allowed yourself to be mocked and scourged. We thank you, Lord, that you endured such hardship on our behalf, Lord. Let us, every time we come to your table and eat of the bread and the wine, we never forget that. How great love that you had for us, that you still have for us, Father. That you're patient and kind with us even in the midst of all our sins and our mistakes. We thank you for your chastisement. We thank you for your word preached to us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that brings conviction upon our hearts and leads us that your goodness and kindness leads us to repentance. We praise you and we give you thanks. In the name of Jesus Christ we ask it. Amen.